Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shasai Podcast, conversations between scholars from around the world who study childhood, youth, and related institutions historically. As an official production of the Society for the History of Children and Youth, you can subscribe to these shows through iTunes or Google Play. Written and visual materials associated with each episode are available at our website, shcy.org. Enjoy. Okay. Um, hi, Seth. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, hi, Gavin. Hi. Um, for <laughs> listeners, uh, Seth and I are colleagues in the uh, College of Arts and Sciences writing program at Boston University. Um, and uh, we're both historians, and I've jo- enjoyed uh, your book, Seth, uh, Children of the Silent Majority. I'm excited to talk to you a bit about it today. Uh, but what I'm wondering, because you and I actually have never really talked about this, is what led to your interest um, in uh, this particular topic of sort of focusing on uh, young voters for the presidency? Yeah, so I've always been really interested in the 1968 to 72 period and youth culture and was still in thinking about a project while I was in graduate school for my dissertation. I was still taking courses and I took a course with uh, Brooke Blower, who's a, a professor in the history department here at BU and um, was doing some research on the Republican National Convention. And I was just doing a research paper just on the convention in 1972 and came across a guerrilla television documentary made by a group called TV TV. And they were using these guerrilla techniques of handheld video cameras. And I was really interested in, in the medium, but then I really found the content fascinating as they were focused on this one group supporting Richard Nixon in 1972 called the Young Voters for the President. And the YVP caught my eye too, because I had never heard of them. And I couldn't really think for the life of me, who would join this organization in 1972? Who, who would this group be? And then I, I looked into it and realized that they evolved into a vast grassroots organization that included over 400,000 new voters as they had just lowered the voting age to 18. And so this began to really get my attention and I began to think about ways I could explore this story. And as I began to scratch at it, I saw there were a lot of archival sources and broadened the context beyond just researching in the course to thinking about this as a dissertation. And that, originally came uh, the project, which then turned into the book. Uh, that's, uh, th- that's super interesting. And I often find talking to uh, other colleagues and stuff like that, we're usually like, discovering some specific document or stumbling across a specific document or source that kind of piques your interest initially. Um, it seems like it was the case here. What, um, were there specific archives or other sources beyond um, TV, TV, uh, that you found particularly helpful uh, as you went about researching? 
Yeah, well, the first thing I did is I just looked at the Nixon library and saw that they had 15 boxes on just young voters. And so that really started getting me thinking, why were young voters so important in 1972? We don't see a lot about what goes on behind youth politics often. And so I really began thinking about that on a, a strategic level. And so I, I began to really think about this as um, a, a, po a political archival project. And then I began looking at George McGovern's papers, who was running against Nixon and was a youth candidate, and saw that he also had tons of files on the youth campaign in 1972. And naturally, uh, began looking also around at the youth perspective and looked to campus newspapers mostly for that. Uh, that's really interesting. Um, so as you were uh, as you were going through all these uh, archival sources, uh, what like why did you start to think of this group as uh, sort of important to political history? Uh, was it just sort of like an anomalous thing, or at what point did you start to think this is a significant part of uh, the story here? Yeah. Well, the first thing was that. I, I saw this as a way of countering the narrative about young voters' significance. And often the image of the young voter is not a good one and also is focused just on that, on their image. And so I really wanted to think about how youth politics influences different aspects of political campaigns. So, for example, looking at the role of organization in youth politics and looking at the role that young people play in the organization. And that, to me, was a major shift. I also wanted to look at their political leanings. When we talk about youth, we often think about them as being liberal especially after 1968, during that period. And a lot of politicians at the time made that same calculation, and they were wrong. And so looking at the voters for Nixon, I saw this as an opportunity to counter the perspective of youth during this time period and show that young people lean right too, as Nixon as I point out in the book, was able to split the first youth vote. And so I, I thought on those two ends that this was really uh, an important story that emerged that would be useful and was an important intervention in the scholarship on this topic of youth politics. There are yeah. some other issues that I also saw, and since this is for shy, for, for uh, you know, uh, an organization focused on, on youth, I'll focus on the youth end of things. But I was also interested just in the role that young people played in the future of the Republican Party and how important youth politics is to determining and carving out the future of voting constituencies. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's super interesting. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about sort of like the conservatives' use of the youth vote. I'm thinking we're both, I guess, sort of of the age when like I'm first became aware of political campaigns. You know, like during the '92 election, that was the era of like MTV's Rock the Vote campaign. I think there was an implicit sort of liberalism there that uh, your your book sort of upends that narrative a little bit. So I, I was hoping you could just say a little bit more about that and get into the, the meat of like why Nick, you know, we don't think of Nixon as courting young voters. Um, so why would he look at them and, and see them as so significant? Yeah, so for Nixon, it was purely a public relations problem that he was terrified of young voters and felt that he needed to make it at least appear that he cared about young voters. And if he could just cut a little bit into them and take away from McGovern's base, that it would serve his purpose. I don't think that he intended to really win the youth vote at the ballot box. And I think the success of the campaign, which had very little to do with Nixon, the candidate. In fact, I think by choosing the term young voters for the president and explicitly ignoring the actual name of the candidate says a, a lot about the limited role Nixon really played in the youth campaign in 1972. It was really much younger, forward thinking, technocratic, and I would say you know, futuristic politicians that were using technology and image and organization. Um, I'm talking about people like Kenneth Reitz, who really ran the youth campaign, and even Bill Brock, who was the chairman of the Young Voters for the President and really started the organization. He was a senator from Tennessee. Uh, and obviously, quick plug, I'm writing his biography now. Uh, and so I think at first Nixon just saw this purely as a public relations move. But at the end, it became sort of a, what do they call it, a, a man bite dog counterintuitive that Nixon loved so much to, to prove that young people loved him too. And so I, I think that was something that really motivated Nixon to, to reach out to young voters. I think it's also important to realize that there were a lot of policy initiatives that Nixon, I would say, was moved on by young voters pressuring him, especially after Kent State, when young people were really concerned about the environment. That, I argue, played a big role on Nixon's calculations. Young people were obviously concerned about the draft, which played a huge role in Nixon's move to end the draft. And on and on we go. And I even argue that in international relations moves, like opening up China, this was very popular with young voters. There was a poll they took of about 25 college presidents and only one opposed Nixon's move in China to open up China. This was a, and this was ping pong diplomacy in some ways, young people played a role in, in pushing this openness forward. So looking at the role that young people played in his policy, I think 
shows that there were substantive moves that Nixon made. It wasn't all public relations. I also think showing the amount of money that Nixon spent on this campaign, a million dollars on par with any special group. If, if we know anything about Nixon's campaign, it was really segmented and innovative in that respect. We had Ukrainians for Nixon, plumbers for Nixon, stewardesses for Nixon. And of all those groups that were targeted in the citizens campaign run by Fred Malik, young voters were emphasized the most. They got the most funding. I also think that the story is really important about how Nixon actually saw this eventually as an important move to shape the future of the GOP. And there is something predictive about youth politics. And historians don't like to, to talk about the future. Talking about the past is hard enough. But when we think about youth politics today, and even in recent history, it helps us understand the direction of politics moving forward. And, and Nixon appreciated that. And really, his cadre of youth, the young voters for the president, the young Republicans, the college Republicans, the teenage Republicans, all these different organizations were really focused developing future leadership for the party. And a lot of these people ended up becoming important players in the Reagan administration. And so I think what this shows is that Nixon did have a sense of his role in building the Republican Party, and he doesn't get enough credit for that. So that was another important intervention that I thought would help the scholarship on Nixon. Uh, that's, that's super interesting, especially thinking about how some of these people ended up um, in the Reagan administration. So I like that bridge um, past the decade of the 70s into the 80s where the um, not, yet, not as much scholarship has yet come, on, come online. Um, well, you know, if you write about conservatism, all roads lead to Reagan. So you, yeah. have, to, you have to say, how, did this, how does this explain Reagan? Um, yeah. And that actually wasn't a chapter in my dissertation. That was something that publishers pushed me to do. And um, I think that it helps the book. And I've learned actually when to give book talks to start with that, to start with Ronald Reagan winning 19... Winning the 1984 election with 64% of the youth vote as the oldest president in American history. And then saying, we should give Reagan credit for this, but let's go back to 1970, 71, 72, and look at the groundwork that uh, Nixon supporters laid that led to this type of strategy and personnel that made. Reagan's landslide, what it was. So, I mean, so, I mean we, uh, you know, think of Reagan as a particularly uh, charismatic politician, but in some ways you seem to be arguing that uh, he, he successfully drew from the playbook of one of the famous, most famously uh, uncharismatic politicians of the, the late 20th century. That's right. And so, um, you know, I, w I would say that um, on, on policy levels, uh, Reagan borrowed quite a bit from Nixon. Um, but I, I would say that strategically, 
And organizationally, there was a lot of influence from uh, Nixon on the on the Reagan approach, and 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 it does. It goes down to. I mean, uh, there was the Youth for Reagan campaign, and it was built on this same model that Ken Reitz defined in 1972. And it was run by Morton Blackwell. And he talked specifically about the young voters for the president and the way that they set up this semi-autonomous, separate political campaign called Youth for Reagan with their own offices, their own leadership. And it was really effective when young people would go into these headquarters, they'd see themselves in the leadership. They'd see 18-year-olds organizing charter jets and uh, s setting out the agenda for the day as far as canvassing goes. And this was really empowering. Now, I will say the youth vote did change dramatically and was much lower in 1984. And I think that actually makes the structure even more important. And I think that is the story of why Reagan won so heavily with the young voters, even more, he, Reagan only won 60% of the national vote. Well, he won a whopping 60% of the national vote, but he won an additional 64% of young voters. So they're actually out front of their parents as far as being conservative. And that really turns the narrative upside down of, of liberal voters that uh, people assume today. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think that that structure is really the legacy of the Nixon administration and the network and the leadership organization that was, was set in, in 1972. I think 1972 doesn't get enough attention because 1968 is such a huge event. Uh, as we're seeing now, everybody's comparing this election to 1968. It, and, and it makes sense uh, on some levels, the comparisons. But I think that uh, I, I'm hoping that the book helps contribute to the scholarship on that level too. Yeah, uh, I think it does. Um, and I guess just before we, we wrap up, um, so we've been talking um, about sort of uh, youth and the Republican Party, but you know, not the elephant in the room, but I guess the donkey in the room would be the, the Democratic um, Party and their use of uh, young people, which I think is, you know, we talked earlier about how that's, that seems to be like the more common narrative. Um, you know, what, what role do you think uh, young people have played in democratic politics? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough question to answer. Jeremy Surrey says that radicals after 1968 just sort of melted away. They lost, they, they, the left lost a lot of its voters just to, just to the apathy, just distrust of the system. And I think there is a lot of that on the left. I think that the majority of young people would side with the Democratic Party if they were somehow corralled into the system and, and to vote more than they do, which is still not enough. Uh, and I, I think there, there's a lot to that, but I think a lot of it is also just that, take campus politics, for example. Students who work for the college Republicans run a pretty tight ship. And whenever I talk to students working for the, the college Democrats, they always talk about how hard it is to organize and that it's very fractured. 
And I think that's true that there are for students on the left on campus, a lot of different ways they can express their politics. But for conservative students, most of it's channeled through the college Republicans. And so the organization on the student level, it's, it's tighter on, on the conservative side and the Republican side. It's, it's more well organized. It's also more cohesive as far as the Republican National Committee is concerned. It's more well funded. The, the leadership pipeline is more clear in the college Republicans into the Republican Party, to, in the senior party. And so I, I think that says a lot about the difference between the two. And I, but I think there's an important story to be told. And actually just answering this question, it's making me think about a book project. But I, as you know, I already have two lined up and neither of them have begun. So I don't think I have room for a third imaginary project, but I'm hoping somebody will see this book and say, well, what's going on on the other side? I do look closely at McGovern's campaign and I, and I, I learned a lot about it and I think there's a lot to learn. I'm actually, I love my McGovern chapter, the first one I wrote because the papers for it were here in Boston. So I started with like chapter five, just in the middle of the project. Um, and I, I think there's a lot to learn about the, the Democratic Party from looking at the youth campaign in 1972 and, and looking at the Democratic Party today. But I, I don't think anyone's really gone forward and, and looked at that progression from there, looking at, you know, what happened to Carter, then uh, Carter in 80, then, you know, look going through the, the Mondale Dukakis, you know, then up to Clinton, then, the, you know, going through all those different different campaigns, I think it would tell an interesting story about how they handled young voters and, and how it's changed over time. And, um, you know, Obama certainly was a youth candidate. Um, and so and I would argue in some ways that Obama used in some ways McGovern's appeal, but Nixon's strategy. And um, that's, that's the way I, I bring it all home, in my own mind, at least. All right. Uh, all right. Food for thought. Very interesting. All right. Um, well, uh, it's been, uh, as, as always, fun chatting with you. Um, and I hope the people who listen to this uh, also uh, find it interesting. And more importantly, I hope they buy your book. I hope so, too. <laughs> all right. <laughs> good talking. Gavin. All right. Good. All right. Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online, shcy.org.